Okay, so here I am with uh, Josh Batty who designed the Morphos, which is part of the Music Melbourne and Me exhibition. Can you tell me how this um, came about, this project? Yep. Well, I was approached by Dr. Kip Thorne at the start of the year. Um, he mentioned that there was going to be a potential uh, exhibition coming up for this and if, if I had any uh, insight into what we could do in, in this space. Um, I guess the, the initial brief was to present the history of Mushroom Records in a way that was visually appealing and engaging and um, was asked to create a wow piece. Um, so uh, I, I thought how can we present this content that was a little bit more engaging than um, just a sort of static poster on the wall and something that was kind of alive. So, and something that was kind of, you know, a, a little bit, um, uh, I guess, what's the word? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a little bit amazing for people to look at that maybe they haven't seen before or, or something that they could go away and, and, and just remember. So, um, I've been getting into projection mapping for a few years, so I just initially proposed to design a, a sort of cubic sort of structure that was suspended, suspended from the ceiling and that we could then get a lot of projectors and project onto each face. So kind of in an architectural way, um, something that was a little bit abstract to have something a bit creative, but um, just a way of sort of engaging that sort of the space a little bit. Just make sure yeah. So we'll, we'll get out of your way. Um, don't worry. Don't worry. Yeah. I've got, I've got somebody. Done. Naomi, just edit this bit out, okay? <laughs> We've had to move, okay? Just, yeah. All right. So um, let's just backtrack a bit, Josh. Um, so you are Kips's student. What are you studying um, at RMIT? I'm doing my PhD at RMIT at the moment, um, studying. Uh, a technique called granular synthesis. Um, I very I came from an audio background, um, and my bachelor was in jazz trumpet. So, I, but I've currently treat uh, my computer as the most expressive medium for an artist to work in. So I'm interested not only in sounds and visuals and interaction, but all, all sorts of media and how they can all sort of fuse together to create something that's grander than the sum of their parts, if that makes sense. Um, <laughs> so you um, are doing your PhD through the School of Media and Communication? Yep, that's, that's correct. <laughs> <laughs> and um, in music industry, is that right? No? or I am doing it in the music industry, but my, my, my PhD kind of fuses a lot of um, different fields. Um, it's probably a, a mix between computer science, neuroscience, psychiatry, performativity, art, music, and that probably covers most of them. So it's a little, it's, it's a very grey area. Someone asked me what, I'm, what field I'm doing my PhD in or where I'm studying and I, I kind of freeze for a second because I don't know how to answer it um, because it's kind of everything. Um, I guess from when you work in, with code or with a computer, um, obviously now um, every single industry relies on code uh, software and computers to actually achieve certain outcomes. Um, so as a coder, I don't really feel like it's necessary to restrict myself to just do one specific thing because 
when you can know how to code and you can set things up, you can basically do everything and anything. And it's not as interesting just to limit yourself just to doing one thing with it. The, the interesting thing comes when you actually start crossing these disciplines together and merging these different, these previously separated sort of industries. That's really uh, fascinating. So did, what did you do your master's in and where did you do it? I actually got to skip masters. I did my honours at RMIT and that was in creative media and that was all interactive installations using uh, touchscreen devices. And you did jazz studies, did you do that here or? I'd, I've been playing trumpet and piano since I was five years old and I went to the WAPA, which is in Western Australia and did jazz trumpet studies there for a couple of years and then decided to move back home. So I, was, I moved over there when I was 16 to do uni there because I'm a bit too young. Um, so I finished my, my Bachelor of Jazz Trumpet at Victorian College of the Arts. Okay, so um, you did your um, honours at RMIT and then you've moved straight into the PhD. That's, that's, that's correct. <laughs> <laughs> Terrific. So... Um, now, you would probably have finished your PhD by now and if this project hadn't come and landed on your lap, is that right? Yes, I was, I was kind of hoping to be done by now. Um, I was um, scheduled to finish in mid-October of 2013. Um, when I was initially approached to do this off the top of my head before having any really discussions about the actual scale of this, I thought it would take up three weeks of my year. Hence the reason I just agreed to do it, <laughs> because my main focus was finishing my PhD. Um, but that ended up blowing out to about five months, so I've had to get an extension on that. So hopefully I can get back to where I was in June when I kind of pushed pause on my PhD mm -hmm. and um, should be hopefully finished uh, if all goes to plan mid-2014. Okay, so I guess the, the thing about um, RMIT is its um, connection with industry, and uh, that's you know, one of the reasons you, you know, study here. Yeah. Uh, so I guess this is um, first, you've had first-hand experience of how that actually works as a student here. Well, absolutely. It's been um, a massive learning curve and uh, in the last three weeks especially, kind of being in here every day from morning till after dark, I have come across more challenges on a daily basis which I've had to overcome and solve than I, I, I would on it generally just in my academic studies. So... The definitely the experience and the, the pace of, of which things are expected to be done, especially when there's a deadline and there's uh, you know, other sponsors and other people's money involved and uh, you know, an opening night and, and things are expected to work a certain way, um, you, you just have to do what you need to do. You know? It's not like you can just ask for an extension and it doesn't really matter because you kind of have a lot of expectations on you to, yeah. to get things done. So, um, not, not the least um, uh, an early morning media call the night after the opening. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in which the director had to do a walkthrough for national television and uh, the Morphos had to be working. And the somewhat hapless and uh, technologically inept media person, namely me, <laughs> had to be talked through at a very early hour by you. Yes, that's correct. It, I mean, some of the, the thing with working with essentially bleeding edge technology is it's pretty hard. Sometimes things are going to go wrong. and that's kind of the risk that you have to take and hopefully your client realises that there's a bit of a risk. It's awesome that the clients are willing to, to go out on a limb every now and then to do things that aren't just sort of the same and, and, and safe 
because that's when, you, if you want to make something that's wow, that's that's kind of what you have to do. You have to kind of present something that kind of shouldn't exist yet. Like for example, to actually get the Morphos running, I had to hack at a Mac Pro and turn it into something that Apple doesn't want you to do with their technology. Um, we had to drive uh, six projectors and one monitor here, which means we have to have seven outputs, which means I have to chuck two pretty heavy-duty gaming graphics cards in there, um, which require a lot of power, and Apple won't actually give you the power to do that because they don't want you doing that with their technology. So I had to tap into the SATA connection, get a SATA to Molex connector, snap the plastic off, gaffer that up, and then get another connector, which I had to get from America, and then somehow plug that in, and then have that get powered by another power adapter. You know, this, these things just go on and on, etc., etc., etc. And it's sort of one thing after the other. You solve one problem, and then another one arises, and then you solve that one, and then another one arises. So it's it's kind of a little bit um, disheartening sometimes when you you have this list of things to do in a day, and each time you tick one off, another one gets added to the list. <laughs> so. <laughs> Um, especially when there's a deadline approaching and you don't actually know <laughs> when that process is going to stop. But we got there in the end. and yeah. it's, uh, it's always exhilarating to actually see the door open and yeah. uh, the exhibition running and, yes. uh, and well, the Morphos up yeah. and the Vice-Chancellor standing under it, Michael Gudinski yeah. and Dan Sutton performing under it. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Um, that's Because uh, usually when I write software, I, I'm in an act called MindBuffer and we do audiovisual real-time electronic music and visuals. Um, yeah, we played Burning Man three times in the past couple of months and uh, toured around Australia quite a bit and signed to Enigmatic Records. But the main challenge for that is sort of, like we, we just want to push the boundaries, but usually it's that, that's only for an, a one-hour show. So I'm usually happy if I can write software that does something like that that doesn't crash in one hour. This is just on another level because this has to run non-stop completely for three months without me even being here. And, you know, that's just on a whole other level of uh, programming that I've, it's been a, a massive learning curve for me to get up and running. But I'm really happy that I've actually gone through the process and have worked that out. And I will feel more confident in doing another project like this in the future. Now, I understand you um, had a recent trip to America, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. We, we got asked and to play at the Burning Man Festival in the Nevada desert uh, in front of 50,000 people. Sorry, can you explain the Burning Man Desert for our listeners? Uh, Burning Man is an annual festival that happens in the Nevada desert. It's a week-long festival that pops up. Um, it's just completely insane. Um, everything is, that is constructed, like for example, they built a temple that cost $800,000 that took them four months on site to build, and it's up there for seven days, and in seven days they burn the whole thing down. You know, and everything that's up there is completely temporary, and the whole city comes and merges. Um, there's no, there's no law enforcement. It's all rules are as such, but everyone kind of self polices each other, and it's kind of like an alternative society for one week of the year. So to be involved in that was really insane. Like playing on a stage that was the size of three-story building that we had to get an excavator to take us up to the top with flames coming off the side and um, just insanity going on all around us was just really, 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 really cool and kind of had to pinch myself to it kind of felt like a dream but I think that's kind of what Burning Man's all about. How did they find out about your work? Um, it, it, I guess we, we, it's really weird we just kind of wrote a track online um, and then we got approached the next day by someone who heard it uh, who happened to run Enigmatic Records and asked us to get on board so we then started releasing a few tracks with them and starting uh, did a few remixes and releases overseas as well and then people just contact us and ask us to do these things like we've never really 
gone out and sought to play at any of these places or release any of this stuff with artists and or other labels and festivals, but um, it's all kind of come to us, which has been really cool. So this uh, is your hat wearing as a musician rather than as a programmer? No, we actually program everything in the software in our own shows, um, all the sound and imagery and performance um, that you hear in, in one of our shows is written completely from custom C++ software. Um, we try not to use other people's software because we find it too limiting and for each show we actually write a whole brand new piece of software for each individual show. It takes us about five months per show to write custom software for each show. So there's a lot of work goes into that one hour set, especially since you know you only really get paid $200 for it, But so you're really doing it for the love and um, just trying to show people that there's more that's possible out there currently than pressing play on a CD player and waving your hands in the air. Um, we just want to strive for something that shouldn't happen. That's what motivates me to, to do what I do, is to make things happen that shouldn't happen to kind of inspire some awe in people that see it. That's terrific. Now, you're talking about the we, so who's the other, other people yes. in the team? That's uh, Mitchell Nordine. He's a little genius. Who he was actually, I was teaching at RMIT in my first year, teaching computer sound production, and he was an 18-year-old sitting in the corner, kind of quiet, and I asked him to, what he was working on week three, and he showed me. And um, he is instantly. I knew this guy was going to be one of the most influential musicians coming out of Australia. So we started. We decided just to write a track together to see what happens, um, and we we did that. And then it all just kind of snowballed from there. So um, that's been going on for about three years now. We we live together and, and work on that on um, a daily and nightly basis. And it's fair to say that we're completely obsessed. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Terrific. Now. Um, I, I'm just trying to get my head around what it, when you say you perform or you at the Burning Man and yet it's programmed. So how does how, what do you do on stage if it's all mm -hmm. programmed? Um, well, I, I think this has kind of helped coming from a jazz musician background because you know you, if in jazz you'll get up there and you might have a piece to play that might even be a standard that people kind of recognise. But within that, there's enough flexibility to actually improvise and come up with new spontaneous things on the fly. So in the computer science world, then you kind of need to write generative systems. So you have like algorithms that are in place that suggest one thing, but you can interject at any point and maneuver it and sort of like a conductor would and move it in different directions. So there's kind of like a, I guess in the musical terms, there's a form that is kind of pre-planned in a sense. Um, and there's chordal structures, if you'd like it to, to have some sort of analogy. But what you do within those boundaries that you define is completely up to you in real time. Um, because all our visuals happen live and react to the sound. Um, say I can, in real time, take the volume from my kick drum or the frequency data coming from the melody and then instantly hook that up to a generative system that's um, running, say, a particle system, and so then the, the kick drum can then um, control the velocity of my particle system or the actual frequency data that's coming from the melody can control the count and the movement and the attraction of that actual physics object. Mm. Um, and that's just like kind of one example. So it's just setting up all these massive rules and possibilities. So we go into a state, we go into a show programming infinite possibilities, and then our performance is reacting to the crowd and reacting to each other and then in real time making these connections to, to have an audiovisual experience. 
Fascinating, absolutely. So um, people have um, until the 22nd of February to see Morphos in action. And um, tell me, do you have any plans for next year that you can fill us in on? Uh, obviously the, the big plan is to finish my PhD. Um, I have been invited to do an artist in residency in the Himalayas in India in April, um, which I'll be going over to do for 30 days. And then after that, um, I think I just want to experience what it's like to be an artist without having to justify myself. Um, I, I love going, I've loved the academic experience, um, but sometimes as a creative person, it, you just want to do something just because it's cool, you know, or just because it doesn't exist yet, not that for it to solve a problem or to actually help, you know, uh, clarify a hypothesis or anything like that. It's just because it doesn't exist and it would be really cool. And th for that reason alone is, is probably enough for me at the moment. Thank you very much. Thank you.